The title of this morning's message is, It's Never Wrong to Do What is Right. Again, it's never wrong to do what is right. You know, this morning, we begin going through this chapter, Mark chapter 3, with the event that is recorded by Mark of the time when Jesus healed, healed the man with a withered hand. And again, we consider the day in which he did it. It was on the Sabbath. And we will conclude this chapter, not today, not this morning, in the coming weeks, with the time when Jesus' family came for him because they thought that he was out of his mind. It's interesting, as we go through this chapter, we navigate through it. As we study it, we, we see all kinds of different things. We'll also see how it is that the twelve apostles were selected and who they were. The unforgivable sin will also go through. But this morning we'll see the intentions and actions of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians. We'll see something that sometimes we look to each other and we think that is not a godly character. We'll see Jesus's, get this, anger. In what he is grieved by. In all of this I pray that you see. Overall. Principles of morality. Godly wisdom. And what blesses and glorifies. God. So we begin with these first six verses. Again it is never wrong to do. What is right. Again, in verse 1, it says, Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And so it begins. The recording of this event. It was customary for Jesus to go to synagogue to gather with other Jews and to teach. And I want to begin there with just pointing the simple truth out. Is that Jesus went to synagogue as it was customary for him to do. He went there to fellowship. Listen, Jesus never discouraged anyone from going to worship, to read, to study in fellowship with others, to serve and pray corporately. He never discouraged. He never spoke against it. He rather encouraged it. He never condemned it. But what he did do is he confronted those who were known to twist the word and were known to lead people astray through their false doctrine and its application. People who led people into bondage into their false doctrine and ultimately would steer people away from knowing God and knowing salvation, the way to salvation. Jesus confronted hypocrisy and corrected what they taught was wrong. So for anyone who says, I don't have to go to church, to a a building, meeting with other believers, to gather and, and worship. In order to worship God, I simply point to what is written. If you're forsaking the assembling of yourself, in other words, the gathering of the church, in, in, 
the person who's saying, well, the building doesn't make the church, that person is absolutely right. But this is where the church gathers. This is where the church comes together. And so we simply go to Scripture. And I want to point out just a few areas starting in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we consider the days in which we're living in, the difficulties of life, the circumstances that we're faced with, even more so, the Apostle Paul, as he, as he writes, he's telling us, hey, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's in this place and engaging with one another that we can consider that and apply that. There's no other way. Unless you figure it out, <laughs> tell me, and we could all do it together. Well, no, that would require us getting together. Forget it. It, we have to come together. And, and it's, a, it's a command by the Lord. As the days are getting darker, we should do it even more so. Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It, it was intimate fellowship. It was coming to... Listen, just... As we heard from Chris this morning, as he shared this devotion, we, we are reminded once again how it is that the, Paul, the Apostle Paul uh, was not commending the Corinthians and the believers in Corinth, but he was rebuking them. He was correcting them. That when they came together, they would do it rightly. But they were coming together. And that also reminds me that church is messy. When you come together with someone else, it's not perfect. Please don't come into refuge thinking, this has got to be the perfect church for me. Because you just messed it up. It's not perfect. There's, there's going to be moments to where we might offend each other. You can walk away from a conversation and think, hmm, I wonder what that look was all about. <laughs> Did they mean something by what they said? That comment, I think it was, I think it was meant to me, like toward me. It's like, listen, we all fall short. Church is just consists of a bunch of people who have realized that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We've surrendered our lives to Christ. We, we are excited about the fact that we have the hope of heaven, that we've been forgiven of our sins. But we are still individually battling the flesh, battling the, the, the perspectives of the world, doing our best to submit ourselves to the sanctifying work of God in our lives through His Word and by His Spirit. But we're by far not perfect. But we ought to come together and consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. 
devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, the word of God, to fellowship, to come together and make an effort to do that. And also, to have communion with one another. We did that this morning, communion. Breaking bread, but also eating. So we enjoy having food. We do. We love that here at Refuge. We love hanging out and breaking bread. That is having lunch, dinner together, snacks, whatever. And and, and enjoying conversations over a cup of coffee and doing that. That's That's what the disciples were doing even from the very beginning. And the prayers. Praying often. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, that is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. We're, we're in chapter 3. Now, this, this is just looking forward a few chapters on down the line to Mark chapter 6, and he's still doing the same thing. Going to synagogue. Gather. Fellowship. Grow, pray, encourage, serve, and be built up together in fellowship, in corporate worship. Well, when Jesus went to synagogue on this particular occasion in Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, there was this man with a withered hand. And then there were these other people who had really super knowledge. They were super knowledgeable of the law of Moses. They knew the word very well. They were the religious leaders of the day in the synagogue. And it was this group of men that sat there and they watched Jesus. What were they watching for? Get this, to see what he would do with this man with the withered hand. Is he going to heal him on the Sabbath day? Because they knew Jesus is to do that. But why? So that they could have reason to accuse Jesus of doing what they thought was not lawful on the Sabbath. Is it time to correct their thinking? Jesus did that. That very moment, uh, he did something in order to correct their way of thinking, their perspective. It wasn't right. It wasn't sound. He desired that they would know the right interpretation of the word and they would understand that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. And to know that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath as we covered in Mark chapter 2. These people, get this, they knew the law, they knew the word of God, but they had no love in their hearts. Is it possible to do that? Yeah, it is possible to do that. They actually wanted to catch Jesus doing something wrong. This is is what they had in their hearts, to accuse him and condemn him. It's interesting. Listen, when that enters your heart here, like within the church... You're looking at someone else and you're just hoping, oh, I don't like that guy. 
I just want to catch him in something so I can accuse him. And show to everyone else that what he's really like. If you feel and have any ill feelings towards someone else and that's what you desire in your heart or something of the like, know that your heart isn't right. For we should not desire that of one another. In fact, we should desire that each one of us grow in our understanding of what it means to glorify God according to his word. That we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we don't get into that place to where we condemn one another, but rather be used to build up one another. It is amazingly disgusting But there are people who do the same thing today. They watch and they hope that someone else fail. Although perhaps they won't say it. And then they have opportunity to enter in and to pounce and accuse. But never having the internal fortitude to confront and discuss humbly and to seek to understand Or worse, they fail to apply God's word rightly interpreted to the situation. After all, what should govern us as a people? It is the word of God, right? It is never wrong to do what is right. Jesus asked them. He told the the man with the withered hand, come. And then he told the men who had bad intentions... He asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He didn't have to engage them, but he did. Because he wanted to point out how it is that they were wrong in their thinking and their interpretation of the word. And when confronted with what was a rhetorical question... To make a point of truth, they were silent. They didn't say a thing. Their silence was not a neutral stance. It wasn't because they didn't know. They stood on one side. They did not stand on the other. When confronted with truth, our silence and lack of action or personal response is not a neutral stance either, but rather a rejection of what is true. Silence is a stand against. Confession is agreeing with. It happens often, unfortunately. Especially when we're confronted with the truth. You know, this is what God's word says. What say you? We're silent. Why do I know it's silence is not a neutral stance, a neutral position? Because of how Jesus responded. I know that to be true because of how Jesus responded To their silence. It's not because I'm saying it. Church, we need to understand our silence speaks volumes loudly. Not not because everyone else can figure it out. But because it's revealed and open before God. 
He knows the hearts or the intentions of our hearts. Why are you silent, child? Because I'm... I don't like that. We act like children, seriously. I know this to be true because of how Jesus responded. How did he respond? Well, he was angered. And he was grieved. What angered him? What grieved his heart? It says here, it's very plain. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. You see, their silence revealed what was in their heart. An unsound perspective of life and how to act within it. This was further revealed and confirmed when Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand. Oh, there he goes. I I told you, told you he was going to do this. You can imagine the, the internal conversation that they were having amongst each other, you know, and, and just the, because they had bad intentions. He called a man to come to him. It's further revealed and confirmed when Jesus told the man to stretch out his hand. He did, and sure enough, his hand was restored. It says, And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him in how to destroy him. It, it was just further revealed. This is exactly what they had in their hearts from the very beginning. This response is significant. It's interesting how people will join up with their former enemies to come against Jesus. This is what was happening here. And everything that has to do with him and his glory. You see, the Herodians were a group of Jews who were sympathetic to the, to the king, to King Herod. They did not oppose his rule, but rather supported it in its entirety. The Herodians were trusting in the Roman government, not the Messiah, They were secular Jews, Jews only in name. The Pharisees, well, they were the religious leaders of the day, and those two groups would normally, normally oppose each other. Listen, when you see two people or groups of people that would normally be opposed to each other, suddenly join forces against a single group or an individual Just beware, be suspicious of their motives. Because God desires that you have discernment. So have discernment and seek to understand why. Why has this all of a sudden happened? Why is this taking place? Why are these two individuals all of a sudden friends? What do they have in in common? What are they agreeing in when I've known them to not agree on anything? Because I've seen too many 
quote-unquote prior enemies join forces for the wrong reasons. To come against what has become a common enemy. What is their commonality? That they have a common enemy now. That's their commonality. That's what they have in common. And always remember what brought them together. Discern what is true and know what to avoid and do what is right. You see, Jesus did what was right. He was angered and he was grieved. You know, anger is actually a godly characteristic. As long as you understand how to handle that anger. Because Jesus did what was right. He was angered. He was rightly angered. And grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. That's what was angered, angering him. That's, that's what grieved his heart. They did not believe in Jesus and were opposed to what is true. And murder was in their hearts. They were seeking to destroy him. In his anger and grief, Jesus acted and followed through by doing what was right to do. Jesus did not sin in his anger, nor in his grieving. You know, so we have something here that we need to pay attention to. We can sin by following our emotions, either in sin or in grieving. We can. Especially when we're feeling certain emotions, it is critical that we are disciplined in our thinking and act and speak in a manner that is aligned with what is right according to God's word. We know and act and think and speak that which would glorify the Lord. Be disciplined in your thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Where are these arguments taking place? In, in your own heart, in your own mind. That's where they're taking place. This is where we need to win the battle. This is where we are disciplined and, and we, we discern and we realize those thoughts are not, are not right. What, is, what does the Word of God say about that? We don't allow ourselves to let those, those thoughts ruminate in our hearts and our minds. We bring them under the subjection and the authority of the word of God. So be disciplined in your thoughts. Secondly, be disciplined in your speech. In James chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also, also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member 
Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. Be disciplined in your thoughts. Be disciplined in your speech. But also be disciplined in your action. Still in James chapter 3, we go down to verse 13, which says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Be disciplined in your thoughts, be disciplined in your speech, and be disciplined in your action. How do we get or how do we gain? How do we achieve? How do we reach that point to where we are mature in Christ? Possessing godly or biblical discipline? Very simple. You have your pens and paper out? Through the study, understanding, and application of God's word. We are neglecting to grow up in Christ if we neglect the reading and studying of God's word. You know, the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In Psalm 119.15, it says, I will meditate on your precepts, precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If we lack power, if we lack love, if we lack self-discipline or self-control, it is because we are doing things in our own strength or by the influence of something other than God. Perhaps you're acting with a worldly perspective or fleshly desires or even responding with fear. Again, as we consider what we read in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, this is a discipline in our actions. It's the, um, the revealing of the fact that we have understood how to gain control or discipline of ourselves by, by drawing closer to God, knowing his word, understanding it, and applying it consistently because 
you have experienced the love of God through a relationship with Jesus and have come to know forgiveness of sins and you love God and desire to honor and bring him glory. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's, it's really simple. It really is. To know God's love and how he demonstrated it through his son and then to respond to it. Well, we know we, we demonstrate our love by simply being obedient to him. What are we obedient to? Well, his word. Read it, know it, study it, understand it, be discerning. Apply biblical godly wisdom to your life in every area of life. And you will understand how to demonstrate how to show your love for God. By the way, um, in a home, kids, parents, you'll love this. This is how you demonstrate. You can say all you want. I love you, mom. I love you, dad. But if you're constantly disobedient and rebellious, you are saying something different. Your actions are actually contradicting what you're saying. And you demonstrate a, a maturity and understanding how much your parents love you and the fact that they, they will support you and they provided for you and they've, they've loved on you no matter what. When you've reached that, that point to where you understand that, and that oftentimes, unfortunately, comes much later in life. You look back and you finally appreciate and you understood, oh, you loved me. You loved me through all the garbage that I put you through. And then all of a sudden, you, you, can, you can look back with regret. I should have loved. I should have demonstrated my love more. I should have been obedient. Listen, that's a reflection. That's why it, we're so full of pride that we bring that kind of mentality, that perspective of not your way, my way. I'll do it in my time, not in your time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We bring that same mentality, that same perspective in, into our relationship with God and expect that to be okay. It, it's not okay. Kids, you demonstrate your love towards your parents by doing what you're asked to do the first time and then doing it well. It's a demonstration. But parents, hey, listen. Be patient. I know you're long-suffering. Be wise. Do your best to bring them up in the way of the Lord. Teach them the word. And just keep loving them over and over and over and over again. Why do I know that that's right? Because we look to God. He's patient with us. He reminds us, even these men that had murder in their heart, they were seeking to destroy Jesus. Even to them, he was doing this for their sake. Not only to demonstrate that he is the son of God, but also to show them and reveal their hearts to them so that they would confess 
they would repent and they would come to believe in Jesus Christ. God is patient with us. He is merciful. He is gracious toward us. And he is faithful. Remember that in your relationship, in your home with each other. Because that brings God glory when we just continue. Agape love is, is, is sometimes loving at the expense of yourself. It's not considering yourself. It's just doing what benefits the other. And that's it. It's a self-sacrificing love. Not if they loved us first, then we will love them. Although sometimes we, we want to do that, right? You didn't love me, so this is what you get. No, that's, that's not a godly character. Jesus here did what was right, even though he could have done something different. Listen, for us, we have those decisions to make every single day, but it's never wrong to do what is right, and it's never right to do what is wrong. Be disciplined in your thoughts. Be disciplined in your speech. Be disciplined in your action. We know this and we grow in Christ our Lord through the reading and study of his word. Again, verse 5 says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Their hearts were hardened. I pray that we would not allow our hearts to be hardened, because that grieves God. May our hearts be softened, May we understand that he has our best interest at heart. He desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It takes humility and meekness to come to that point where we confess our sins before God. Asking him for forgiveness. Asking him for his mercy. And then receive that. For it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember it's never wrong to do what is right. And it's never right to do what is wrong. I I pray, I hope that we understand. And know how it is that um, we ought to discern sometimes how we're feeling. And then take full mastery and control over that. Subject our thoughts to the Lord. Allow him to govern those thoughts. Some are to be taken captive and cast aside and and be disciplined by the Lord. And as we do that, we guard our tongues, those things we speak, and then our actions themselves. May you know the kindness of God, his mercy and his grace, the salvation that he has offered to all through Jesus Christ. He has demonstrated his love toward you, and that while you were, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's demonstrating. I pray that that would, this kindness would draw you unto him. If you don't know Christ as, as Lord and Savior, then this is what, if you, if this is how the Lord is stirring your heart this morning, you have much to confess. Confess it to him. He desires to take all that upon himself, for he already has on the cross. He's paid for it in full. Whatever you've done, it's not too much. 
Cry out to him. Ask him for forgiveness. He's ready to embrace you and bring you in as his son, as his daughter. Ask him for forgiveness and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. For the church, I desire that we would be that discerning fellowship, that we would be tough as nails in Christ, gentle but also tough, knowing God's word, standing on it, being steadfast, immovable, and never wavering, and continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this moment that you've given to us. Lord, as we enter into this new year, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be soft and ready to receive your word in a way that perhaps we didn't last year, Lord, more open and and just uh, having an excitement and a passion for you, being devoted, Lord, to your word and to your glory. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us as your people. Lord, that I do ask, Father, that you would give us favor. That you would entrust to us even, even more as we're ready to serve you, to come alongside each other, to do that work of discipling others, fulfilling, fulfilling the Great Commission. Lord, I pray that we would be a, a beacon here within this community. Lord, that we would be completely given to you. That we would take it upon ourselves and consistently read your word, pray, and worship corporately. Having fellowship with one another. And truly growing in our maturity in Christ. Through the understanding and the application of your word. And I ask, Lord, that for anyone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today, this very moment, would be the day of salvation. That this would, they would know that you are waiting for them with open arms. No matter what's been done, you are ready to forgive. Oh, Lord, you are perfect. You love us and you desire a relationship with us. Thank you for securing that through your son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood. For it is only by the shedding of blood that there is forgiveness of sin. And so, Father, if anyone does not know that, may they know it right now. That that shed blood was full payment for those sins. And you desire that they would simply confess and just come to you and receive that free gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.